0: Open your Bible please to Romans chapter 13 this morning. Romans chapter 13 and a very different type of message today, the Christian's attitude toward authority. Specifically, the Christian's attitude toward governmental authority. And we'll talk about that after we read God's word together, Romans chapter number 13. Now, before I read it, let me just do a one-minute commercial, okay? Um, I want to—I um, I, I look over this congregation today, and we're glad to see all of you here, but I know we've got a lot of people that are still not coming to church. And uh, I want to I appeal to you, if there's no compelling reason not to come to church, some condition that you have, then I want you to be here. If you look around here, do the cameras, can they show that? The doors are open, and the fans are pulling a good air through here. Some people have on masks. If you want to wear one, wear it. And if you don't want to wear one, we don't require people to wear it the whole service. That's an individual call. But if you can notice on the cameras, everybody's six feet apart unless they're sitting, sitting with a family member. And now some of y'all are, are your friends with somebody else, and of course you're sitting with them, but, but you should have six feet this way, six feet this way, six feet this way, six feet this way. And I wanted to say that online because uh, I, it, it's just uh, we're, we are as safe as anybody can be in, in the circumstance we find themselves. I cannot guarantee your safety. One preacher in Atlanta They canceled services the rest of the year, shut the church down the rest of the year, and said, we can't guarantee your safety. Well, you're not going anywhere else they can guarantee your safety either. I haven't heard Walmart say, we'll guarantee your safety. So, uh, the point is, is we're going to do everything we can. We are really concerned that you be safe here. On the other hand, uh, I want you to come, and I want our church to be able to minister at a time like this more than ever. Do you have your Bible? Do you know where Romans 13 is? Okay, let's read it together. What do you say? Chapter 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be, referring to governmental authority, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror, or they shouldn't be, to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid." For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath or punishment that you would fear for evil doing, but also for conscience sake to maintain a pure conscience before the Lord. Thank you, and you may be seated. This has been a very difficult year for everyone and particularly those of us who are extremely concerned right now for our nation and its well-being. There are three areas right now that I think thoughtful people are concerned about. First, we're in the midst of this epidemic. Oh, how I wish it would pass, but I don't know when it will, so It is what it is. We've got to make it through it and just do the best that we can. I know this. Satan didn't invent or Satan did not originate the coronavirus. But Satan certainly has used it. And he's used it in so many areas of our life that we never even thought about or considered. And it's affected society and culture and life whether you live in a family setting, whether you're talking about a family setting, the church, business, everything in our culture has been upended by this virus. Now, churches are supposed to be, and many of them are, the primary sources of spiritual light in a culture. And when the lights go out, bad things happen in the dark. And when the churches shut down for nine weeks, in our case, two and a half months, and there are some places in the country where they're still shut down by a government order, when that happens, of course, the light goes out. The light is dimmed at least. And it affects everything in the spiritual, moral culture itself. But not only are we concerned about the virus, those of us concerned for our nation today, we know that in May, what began as a series of truly legitimate protests over the brutal death of a, of a man by a policeman in, in uh, Minnesota. Though it started in that way, it quickly became something else, and uh, that movement was hijacked. It was hijacked by anarchists. It was hijacked by revolutionaries who are seeking to tear apart our traditions, our institutions, our faith, and our families. We learned since that started that the leaders of the Black Lives Movement are self-proclaimed Marxists. Look on their website. They advertise that they're socialist and Marxist. The same or worse could be said of Antifa. Antifa stands for uh, the fact that they are against fascism, but they are really socialist Marxist who seek the overthrow of society, who actually seek anarchists. They proudly admit, in fact, that they're anarchist. And These movements have turned into an anti-law enforcement movement. These trends like defunding the police that has already been happening in some major cities and the whole idea of creating chaos in society, creating unrest in society for political purposes. We have to be concerned when there are people like that. We also know that these movements have become very rapidly anti-Christian. And Last week in Portland, there was a huge bonfire with Bibles burned on it publicly in the streets for the very first time I can remember in my lifetime where a demonstration made a great point of burning the Word of God. Their statements have been that they believe that the churches are behind white racism in American white supremacy, that white Christ should all be destroyed, statutes of white Christ. Um, things that bring deep concern about the very future of the nation. And then people, ha- or groups have used this, and uh, the heavy hand of big government has been seen, where. Governmental officials, particularly a few governors, have used the pandemic to actually uh, tyrannize certain places in the country here. We've seen the influence of big tech now where that if you say the wrong thing on your social media, you will be taken off, that free speech is now being controlled in this country. We've seen the power of big pharma when that even the administration of drugs has become a national controversy. We've watched and heard the lies of big media who distort the truth. And so, on every hand, we see major, major problems, and many of them with their seat in the government. So, we we know today as Bible-believing Christians, we are in a battle for the very soul of America. I think the future of Western civilization is really at stake right now in what is happening in this country. And I have a great concern. I pray every day as fervently. I don't need to gin up the fervency. I feel the fervency for the future of this nation right now. Now, in the book of Matthew, to give you an understanding of how what our attitude ought to be as Christians toward authority, I want you to open your Bible, or if you would like to, for a few moments, to Matthew chapter 28. And in Matthew 28, we have the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes, he really makes an extraordinary claim. An extraordinary claim. What is the claim? M- Matthew chapter number 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and spoke unto them, them being the eleven apostles, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Boy, what a claim, an extravagant claim, if you will. All power, A-double-L, all power, all kinds of power. Now, the word actually there is exusa. A Greek word translated power. And exusa means authority or the right to rule, the right to govern, if you will. So, Jesus said, I have all authority. I have the right to rule, the right to govern, both in heaven and on the earth. Now, you contrast that word authority with another word. You'll Be familiar with in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the what? The power of God to salvation. But it's not exusa. It's a different word. It's dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. And so you have two kinds of power in the New Testament you have the exusa. Authority to rule, to govern, to reign, to lead. And you have dunamis like an explosion, like dynamite. Physical strength, physical power. So, out here in the middle of the street, a 130-pound policeman gets out of his police car because there's a fender bender down the road here. And the policeman gets out of his car, turns on his blue light, and stands in the middle of Irby Street. Coming down the street, Irby Street, there is a big 18-wheel tractor trailer. It has between 600 and 800 horsepower. It can pull that Track, that trailer loaded down with the heaviest stuff you can imagine. Pull it up hills and down hills. It can take it everywhere. And it's roaring down Irby Street about 45, 50 miles an hour. And here stands a 130-pound policeman. He puts up his hand. And the, and the truck throws on its brakes. And it stops. You have, the policeman has exusa. He has authority. The tractor-trailer is full of dunamis power, but the dunamis gives way to the authority, the right to control, to govern, to rule, if you will. Now, Jesus said, I have all the power. What a claim. All the power in heaven and earth belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why we call him Lord. That's what Lord means. He's the boss. He's in charge. He has all the authority. And he proved that while he was on the earth, he has power to create. John chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that uh, Jesus Christ, that all things were made by him and all things were made for him. Remember, a little boy brought his lunch and Jesus could create He took material things, and He expanded them and made them grow. He created matter that day as He fed 5,000 people. He created the whole universe according to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Jesus had power to create. Secondly, Jesus had power over disease Nobody ever came to the Lord who was blind or who was deaf or who was handicapped or or, 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 uh, any of the diseases that plague us. Nobody ever came to Jesus, and he didn't heal them while he was on this earth. He has power over Satan himself, and he defeated him in the temptation. He defeated him at the cross. He defeated the demons. He cast out the demons every time he was around a demon-possessed person. Jesus has power over nature. He could calm a storm. He could walk on the water. He could predict when a rooster would crow. He could ride a donkey that never had been broken. He had power over every kind of animal life, over nature, over heaven, and over earth. He had power to forgive sins which took even more power and more authority. And so they let the man down through the roof opening, and they brought him to Jesus, and he couldn't walk. And Jesus said to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the onlookers said, Well, anybody, I, you, you, they brought him here to, he, to be healed, and you're forgiving him of his sins. And Jesus said, Well, What do you think takes the most authority, the most power? To forgive a person of his sins or to tell him to get up and walk? It takes more authority to forgive him of his sins. But since you ask, Son, rise up and walk. And he showed again his power over heaven and earth. Now, he has power over one other thing. I want you to see the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, his absolute authority. But in the book of Colossians, chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says this, that he has authority, he has power over principalities and powers. And we read that, and what does that mean? He has power over government. Principalities are governmental entities. He has power over the executive branch, the the president. He has power over... Over the governor in South Carolina. He has power over the Congress and the legislature. They don't think so at the Supreme Court. They think they're God, but they're not. He has power over the Supreme Court of the United States, doesn't he? He has all power in heaven and earth. Now, turn with me to the book of John, chapter 19. I'll show you a really interesting verse of scripture that I didn't see until this week as I was studying this. And it's just that I don't want this to be a civics lesson. I want it to be an exposition of God's Word. But I want you to really see this is God's Word for us today in these troubled times, and particularly when we're so concerned about our relationship to the government. Now, in the book of John, chapter 19, Jesus Christ is the prisoner of the Romans. And the jeers are down here, and Christ is up on a a, a ledge, if you will, uh, appearing there at the palace. And down below, the crowd is saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And up here, the Roman governor, the highest governmental official in Judea, in that entire province, in that region. The governor comes out and stands by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been beaten. Jesus Christ is in a horrible shape, physically bloodied and beaten and bruised. And the governor stands here beside him. The governor's name is Pilate. You know him from history. And Pilate says, "To Jesus says, pardon me, let's let's start reading here in verse number 10. Pilate said to Jesus, are you not going to speak to me? Because up to this time, Jesus had been silent. Don't you know that I have the power, exusa, authority, a right to rule? Don't you know that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus, the prisoner, bound, bloodied, bruised, standing there looking into the face of a Roman governor that has so much power, Jesus said to him, You Couldn't have power at all if I didn't give it to you. Boy, wouldn't that be a dramatic moment? You could make a movie about that, couldn't you? You think you have power, Pilate. You don't have any power except it were given to you from above. You couldn't crucify me unless I was willing to be crucified. You can't release me unless I'm willing to be crucified. You have no power except the power that is given to you by Almighty God. Now, do you know what? We believe that and we acknowledge that in America. People that have never heard a sermon on this and don't know what the Bible teaches, they, they acknowledge it when they don't, they're not even aware that they're acknowledging it. And so they stand and look at that flag at public gatherings. And we put our hand over our heart and we say we pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. One nation, what's next? Under God. Even the pledge of allegiance says to people that there is a superior being above the United States of America, above any governmental entity. And it hasn't been preached enough. People don't think like that. They think, well, the government can crush me. Yes, it can. And it does sometimes. But on the other hand, there is no power that God does not grant to people to rule, and they will be held accountable for how they use that power. Now, we know... Number 2, number 1 is that Jesus Christ claimed to be the source of all authority and he is. We believe that as Christians. Many rulers may have forgotten that. We got some pretty we got some people with pretty big egos in the government, don't we? And they think that they're calling the shots. But I'm going to tell you one thing, just a word from Almighty God, and it's over for them. Every ruler on this planet, if he's the dog catcher to the president, he rules with God granting him that authority. Now, when we think like that, we're going to think differently about things. God ordained three human institutions. You know that. And he gave those three institutions, he gave the leaders in those institutions authority to rule. And so, we have the family. And God gave the Father the authority to lead his family. Read the book of Ephesians 5 and chapter 6. And then God ordained the church. And he gave pastors and elders certain authorities, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 and verse 17. You can look them up and read them. That's not really what the subject is today. And there are other places that people exercise authority. Employers exercise authority. They have the authority for people to make their living or not make their living, as the case may be. Uh, School teachers have authority as they train and teach our little children. So, there's other authorities in the world, but the three main authorities are the family, the church, and the government, because all were ordained of God. Now, the reference for government is the Romans chapter 13. In the book of Titus, Paul is writing to a young man, Titus. Titus has become a missionary. He's a missionary to the island of Crete, a little island out there in the Mediterranean. We still refer to it as Crete today. His purpose in going to that island is to win some men to the Lord, train them to be pastors, and start churches there on that island. And Paul wrote the book of Titus to Titus to tell him how to train these pastors. And in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says these words to him, and it's very interesting. Titus, put them, being these pastors that he's training, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Teach your preachers to teach their people to be obedient to the government. Teach them to be law and order people teach them that a Christian respects the authority of the governing being, and he or she submits themselves to it, that they be subject to it, he says. He even goes further and says, and then to obey magistrates, judges, and to be ready to every good work. So the Bible in Romans 13, in Titus chapter 3, it makes a powerful case for us to be law-abiding Christians, law-abiding citizens. And when we don't agree with a law or a policy, that doesn't mean that we just flippantly say, I'm not going to do that. The Bible says that part of our Christian responsibility is to be subject to those that rule. In first Timothy chapter two, Paul writes to another young preacher, his name is Timothy. And here's what he said to Timothy. Timothy, teach the people there at your church in Ephesus this that prayers be made for kings and for all that are in authority. Who is he talking about? Well, depending on the time and history in which we live, the, the, the governmental authority might be a king. It might be an emperor in some other place. It might be a president as in the United States. It might be a governor or a senator or a representative. It might be a judge or a magistrate. It might be a mayor or a city or county council. It might be a policeman or a law enforcement officer of some type. The Bible says that we're subject to all that are in authority. We are subject. We're obligated to obey. Now, governments have taken different forms In different places. We live in a democratic republic, a place where we have the ability to even influence the type of government we have through voting and through exercising our citizenship, which I hope you certainly do. But let's go back now to the book of Romans chapter 13, where we started. And I want you just to analyze that passage with me in the light of the Christian's attitude toward authority. First of all, in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1, notice with me, let every soul, that's you and me, be subject or obedient to the higher powers. That's a reference to principalities, powers, governments at various levels. Secondly, it says that the powers that be, the powers that exist right now are of God. I may not like them. I may disagree with them, but it was God who permitted them to come to power. And then he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. Now, ordained is really interesting. It has the idea the powers that be were put in place or established or assigned or ordered by God himself. That God ranked those authorities is actually the literal rendering there. He ranked those authorities. He is the one who put them into place. In verse number 2, to resist the power, the authorities, is to resist the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. That damnation may be in the form of a prison sentence. It might be a fine if you resist the authorities. You may be sitting in the jail, is what he's saying, if you resist governmental authority. And then he continues in verse 3 and 4. And this is really the heart of the teaching. This is the purpose of government. That government be just. How does he say it? Rulers, the authorities, are not a terror to good works. In other words, the people that are living according to the law, the people that are in obedience to the law, the law keepers, should not be afraid of the government. But the people that do evil deeds that break the law should be terrorized by the government. They should be afraid of it. If you don't want to be afraid, he's saying, do that which is good and thou shalt have praise of the same. Now, the government doesn't praise us much for doing good, does it? They'll have let down on that one. And then it uses the term a minister of God. He is the minister of God. The governmental official is the minister of God to thee for good. But if you do evil, you should be afraid. You You should be in fear of being arrested or punished or whatever. For the purpose of the government... He is not to bear the sword in vain. He is the minister of God. Second time it's mentioned, a revenger to execute wrath on him that doeth evil. The purpose of government. Now, the purpose of the government has been so obscured in our day because we've seen this behemoth, this growth of government that that is all outside of God's plan. And so we've got all these government programs I mean, the, the, uh, I said a few weeks ago, we, they, they voted several million dollars for somebody to study the sex life of the praying mantis. How many people here care about the sex life of the praying mantis? It is absurd what the government is doing. And it, and it obscures what the real purpose of governmental authority is. And the purpose is this to punish the bad guys and to protect the good guys. How relevant is this? I wish I could go to Portland, Oregon and preach this to the mayor or to Seattle or somewhere like that in New York because we've forgotten the purpose of the government is to punish evildoers and to protect good people. It couldn't be any clearer here. And that if a government doesn't do that, it has missed its whole purpose. A different way of saying that is justice is the purpose of government, that people be treated fairly, equitably under the law. Let's go to 1 Peter in your Bible if you want to for a moment. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And Paul, the great, great, missionary to the Gentiles and the great, great uh, authority theologically. Now we move on to the next one that we probably admire in the New Testament. His name is Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, "...submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake." whether it be to the king as supreme or under the governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. And notice, this is the will of God. The will of God that people keep the law. Now, we go back. I'm going back in my Bible. You don't need to turn there, but to First Timothy chapter 2. And we have, again, God's purpose. And the Apostle Paul said, now you pray for the king, the leader, the president, the congressman, the senator, as we do here on Wednesday nights. Pray for the justices in the courts. Pray for every level of governmental authority. Pray for the county council, the city council, the mayor, whomever. And the purpose is to live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty. That's the purpose. What's the purpose of government? The Bible defines it. To punish the bad guys, to protect the good guys, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and in honesty. Christians ought to be the most law-abiding people in town. They ought to be the most respectful of the authorities of anybody in town. Through the years, I've invited political candidates to come here. And when political candidates come here, sometimes we've had some guys, and I mean they were rascals. I mean, if it were the last human on the earth, I would not have voted for them. But they held an office And when they came in, I treated them with all the respect I could because of that passage right there. If you look down in verse 17 of 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, honor the king. Honor the king. Honor the ruler. He may be a very corrupt individual, but you honor the position You treat him with honor because he is the person who's in that position right now. And so, we've had, I'm I'm tempted to tell you a story, but I won't. But we had a guy who was convicted of taking bribes and everything in the world, and everybody knew about his moral character. That came here one night early in our ministry, and I presented him, and I treated him with all the honor in the whole world. And I, I grew to really like him personally, though I knew that there were problems in his life. But I honored him. And after it was over, we went to my office. And I got us a cup of coffee, and I sat and chatted with him a while. And then I asked him, do you know if you died, you'd go to heaven? And he said, no, I, I don't guess, I don't suppose I would. Would you like to? Yes. And I opened up my Bible, and it was ten thirty or 11 o'clock at night when we left here, and he had prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Now, I didn't agree with his politics, but I honored him. And I didn't honor him because I particularly wanted to before he came. I honored him because the Bible teaches me to do it as a Christian. Are there limits, though, to authority? Let me make a very strong statement. All human authority has limits. A husband cannot abuse his wife or his children. His authority is limited. A pastor has limits as to what he can lead his church to do. He can't, I can't do anything I want to do. The Bible very clearly prescribes what a pastor's role is. And governmental leaders can't do anything they want to do. Their authority is limited. And so here's one of my reasons for preaching this is because right now it seems like we've come to a time that really does concern me. Not so much within our state. We are very blessed, in my opinion, to be able to live in South Carolina. But the governor of Michigan, on her own, issued a statement back in March that people couldn't go outside their home and mow their yard and that hardware stores could not sell seeds to people to plant their gardens. She did this under the, under the cover of the fact that we were in this pandemic and so you couldn't do these things. You might somebody might get You might get the virus or you might give it to somebody. Is that an overreach or is it not an overreach? She, by the way, is one who shut down the churches. You couldn't have more than 10 people gathered anywhere at any time for any purpose. In California, the governor just recently, just recently, with California not having near the high incidence rate that we have, but the governor out there decided that people shouldn't Go to, they, could, they couldn't go to church from March up until just two or three, four weeks ago. And then he says, you can meet outside. So we have sister churches all over California, meeting under tents, and meeting on the lawn, and meeting on the ball field, trying to have church services. And here's what else the governor said. You can't sing. You can't sing at a church service. So Miles and Temples, former church in California, the people meet and they can't sing or they would be in violation of the law. You can't fully worship God if you don't sing according to the New Testament. The Bible commands us to sing, singing to yourselves with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the Bible says. Praising the Lord is as much a part of our worship as is preaching the Word of God. And here's a governor who thinks he has the authority to tell people, not in a building even, outside on a ball field that you can't sing, and he's using it to say he's trying to protect the people from COVID. In my opinion, he's completely lost his authority because he's overreached his authority. In 1159, there was a man in England before they started using second names. His name was John of Salisbury. He lived in a little town, a little village, Salisbury. He was a great political thinker, and he defined for us tyranny in the best that it has ever been stated. John of Salisbury said, Tyranny is an abuse of power granted to man by God. In other words, here is a position, president, governor, whatever it may be, and a a man is elected or appointed to that position, and it is God who grants that man or woman or whomever it may be the authority to operate in that office. Now, if that person abuses that authority, then John of Salisbury said, that is the definition of a tyrant. That's what a tyrant is. He takes the God-given authority given to him by the Lord, and he abuses that authority in mistreating the people that he is supposed to be ruling over, which is exactly what Romans 13, 3, and 4 say. When rulers rulers become tyrants, when good people are afraid and the evil people go unpunished, and when that happens government has lost its authority in a nearby county two weeks ago a man being held on murder charges was turned loose so that he because they were afraid he'd get covid in prison we saw that also in another state where I think it was Virginia or Maryland. A man who had raped and killed a beautiful young woman. He was turned loose and he went straight to her apartment and killed her. Did you read that this week? That happened this week. The misuse of authority. Now, what should Christians, how should we think? What is our attitude? What should we do in those kinds of cases? John Knox Is known, greatly known figure of history. He was the founder of Presbyterianism in Scotland. John Knox actually was a prisoner. He was taken captive in battle, and John Knox was forced to row on the bottom deck of a ship for a number of years while being held captive to the French. And John Knox finally was set free a man who had been a slave for five years. And he becomes a great political thinker as well as a great theologian. And John Knox wrote what was called the Appeal to the Nobles of Scotland. There was a king, and the king was a tyrant. He was misusing the people, treating the people horribly. And next in line in Scotland under their form of government were the nobles, And the king was misusing the people, and the nobles were passive. They weren't doing anything about it. It was like they were intimidated and afraid of the king. So John Knox writes to them, and he appeals to the nobles of Scotland, and he teaches them something called the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. Here's what it is. Quote, when the superior or higher civil authority issues an unjust or immoral law or decree, the lesser or lower-ranking civil authority has both the right and the duty to refuse obedience to the superior authority. There comes a time when laws are so immoral and laws are so unjust and laws are so egregious and so cruel that the People that the second level of government have the right and the duty to rise up and say, We're not going to do it. Now, you never heard that in a Christian church. Because all my life, all I've ever heard is we're supposed to obey the authority as if they have unlimited authority over us. In the book of Acts, in chapter 5, and verse 29, the Christians were hauled into court. They were beaten. They were put in jail. And the next day they were released. And they said, don't you ever witness again in the city of Jerusalem. And do you know what Peter said? We ought to obey God rather than men. Why would I preach a sermon like this to you? I think we better start preparing people to think biblically about the government. I think that the time may come when we will have to resist as Christians. That's happened many times before when Christians seal their testimony literally with their blood. And the Romans said every year you have to stand before the image of Caesar and you have to put a pinch of incense on that fire. And all you have to do is say three words, Caesar is Lord. And that's okay. We don't care you go to church anytime you want after that. But once a year, you've got to say Caesar is Lord. And the Christians said, we will not bow our knee to Caesar. And they went to the arenas, and they were fed to the lions, and they died at the hands of the gladiators. They didn't bend. They didn't bow. They didn't burn. They stood their ground against unjust, wicked government. I don't intend to bow to anybody but one time, and that's to Jesus Christ. And I will be the best citizen I can be Not perfect, but I want to be a good law-abiding man. But the government of the United States has limits, ladies and gentlemen, and don't believe anything different. That will keep us free. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.